Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. So welcome to Bite Into It. You're on Triple R, 7pm on a Wednesday, and we're here for some tech. I've got... Ro Murray with me. Good evening. Good to have you here. And I'm Vanessa Taholka. Hey, coming up tonight, we will be taking a deeper look at the news and what's going on in the world of tech, as well as speaking to Gary Gaz-Williams, community lead at Tractor Ventures. We've got to give you a language warning early. We'll be dropping the F-bomb a bit tonight, um, but in a very tech contextual sort of way. And um, I apologise for that, but sometimes it has to happen. <laughs> uh, you have to listen to find out why. Uh, before we get there... Bunch of ACCC um, issues in the news this week, which is kind of interesting. Uh, did you see, Ro, that Google had fined, um, had been fined sixty million dollars in a case brought by the ACCC? Small change. Yes, small change for them. <laughs> small change for the Google gods. <laughs> yeah. So what they got in trouble for was misleading Aussies in the AAP news title. I'm just like, wow, we're getting very relaxed in our reporting of um, legal fights these days. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and, you know, such small stakes as well. It's just, just a bit of, you know, misdirection. Don't worry just about it. Just a bit it. of personal location data. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, this case has been um, going for a little while. The Australian competition watchdog um, took a good little court over the idea that users um, thought that they had more protections against the collection of their personal location data than when actually... Uh, there. So in April last year, the Federal Court of Australia found Google breached consumer law by misleading these users. Um, and it was focused on mobile devices with Android operating systems where this particular set of conditions arose. Um, worth reading into in your own time if you are indeed an Android user with um, Google using location in any way on your devices, but also great to know ACCC is looking out for Australian consumers in multiple ways. And the reason we're going to do that so quickly is because they have flagged that they are going to examine competition and consumer concerns of social media more broadly. So you can read about this on the ACCC site itself. Um, they released this press release on the 16th of August, and it's part of their Digital Platforms Services Inquiry which will examine the state of competition for social media services in Australia as part of the sixth interim report of the ACCC's five-year digital platform services inquiry. Okay, it's a bit exhausting and repetitive. It is a bit exhausting and repetitive, but I guess the good news is there's a few, um, you know, little things that we can take out of it. You know, part of it is obviously we've we've got the, the big dogs, your Facebook, your TikTok, your Instagram, your Twitter, and, um, you know, part of what they're going to be looking at is, you know, their sheer size and scale and market share and what are the barriers to entry for other, you know, social media solutions out there. Um, but also they're going to be looking at the use and abuse of these social media services for scams and misleading or deceptive content. Um, you know, Australians lost more than $144 million to scams on social media last year, um, which is double the amount recorded in 21, in sorry, 2020, and four times in 2017, it's getting more sophisticated. Doesn't matter how savvy you are. I think just about anyone could get caught up in some of these puppies. So That's right. it's really good that they're taking a bit of a look at that from that top-down look. Because I mean, as you know, we've just discussed. You know, Google's just been fined, um, you know, sixty million dollars, and that's uh, two ten million dollar fines and a forty million dollar fine. Um, it's really great that the ACCC is even looking at this stuff. 
So I'm very happy to see. What I love about this this digital platform um, peak this five-year inquiry is also that they're not just looking at consumers, they're looking at how it's affecting businesses in Australia who can't avoid doing business in many cases on these platforms. Mm. And therefore, when rules change at the drop of a hat, you know, it can have really big knock-on consequences. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting. One to watch. We'll definitely be reporting on it for five years, I guess. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, you know, a really great example of that was when, um, you know, all, all that stuff happened and Facebook just shut down all the media outlets' Facebook pages, some of which had, you know, a million or more followers in Australia, and that was just a what kind yeah. of a moment. Yeah. So, you know. And to do it as a negotiation lever too. Yeah. It's pretty Pretty out Pretty bolshy, as they yeah, say. Yeah. I was going to use another word, but we only gave one warning, so I'm <laughs> not going to use that word. <laughs> we'll try and keep it clean on Bite Into It tonight. I reckon that might be enough on the ACCC for this evening. Um, the Tech Council of Australia has put out a report saying we need 653,000 new tech workers ASAP. Mm. Um, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm in hiring mode and I know that uh, there's a lot of demand out there. So the Tech Council of Australia have put this report together in collaboration with Accenture and um, this number that they've put out is uh, actually, they say ASAP, but they really mean by 2030 <laughs> to keep the tech sector yeah. growing. Um, they've then further broken down those figures saying that, you know, Potentially and realistically, they think 320,000 of those could be reskilled, upskilled workers, which is great because mm-hmm. hopefully it'll motivate some incentives in that space. And uh, potentially 160,000 skilled migrants. That's still a few hundred thousand short. So yes. there are some gaps in this plan. We gap there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it will be an interesting one to watch because. Um, there's obviously been a real issue with uh, retention of female tech workers. I mean, obviously the category is immensely broad um, and so much of that is, um, you know, gendered and cultural and, you know, pay gaps and just so many different things right down to bullying and all that kind of stuff. And um, I do remember uh, Vic ICT for Women a couple of years ago did a white paper on it and, um, you know, there were all these um, little cases that they ran. One tech recruiter um, started removing names from CVs and, you know, companies that had never accepted female CVs were suddenly accepting 80% of what was put forward and then cracked the sads when they realised there were women sitting in front of them for an interview. So, um, you know, massive untapped market and potentially another way for them to fill some of those numbers is to retain and train female tech workers. Mm, And also think about better working conditions. Across the board. Amazing. No more crunch. No more crunch. No more crunch. Um, The (laughs) Innovation Australia article that I read reporting on this report (laughs) was uh, had a really fun quote which said, one in 16 working Australians work in tech jobs with more software engineers and developers in Australia than solicitors, plumbers or hairdressers. That's really, that's just for the pub test, isn't it, that quote? I think so. It's just to help us, you know, Envisage something. Make it feel real, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know a hairdresser and a plumber and a solicitor. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I can real grasp people. this. Yeah. Yes. Um, following on from this report, Industry and Science Minister Ed Husick will convene a special tech industry roundtable to decide on urgent action to address growth inhibiting skills shortages across the sector. Look out for more in this space. We're hearing rumours um, 
of, uh, you know, an outline of the rollout of the promised 465,000 fee-free TAFE places, Mm. which could really help here, and an additional 20,000 university places the government has already committed to. So we might see that grow. Yeah, which is pretty exciting stuff. And, I mean, speaking of exciting news in the the good old tech space um, with some very skilled people, Melbourne um, is kicking a few goals there. So an Australian-made video game is currently topping the global charts as players are just flocking, get it, to Cult of the Lamb. This is the coolest little thing. Um, I the developer has said that they reckon they're going to hit about a million units in the first month, which is really cool. And I have to tell you a little bit about this, <laughs> about this game. Basically, um, so Cult of the Lamb, um, it's developed by Massive Monster and the player character is a really cute but possessed lamb and has its <laughs> life saved by an ominous deity and as a pay- repayment. They have to form a cult to appease the deity and they have to run around and launch crusades and collect resources and get everyone all oh, up in arms. <laughs> it sounds hysterical. It looks adorable. Um, it's available on Switch and I think Steam as well. So Excellent. I'm totally going to get it for my Switch. I just I love There's that something stuff. about Australian games, you know, focused on an animal that, you, you know, really kick goals. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. definitely. I love it. Yeah, agricultural roots. Um, <laughs> hey, there was something that I wasn't hugely across, which was the hacking of Starlink terminals has begun. Mm. Um, did you have time to get across this, Ray? I did. I did. Um, so I, I really love this kind of stuff, but um, currently Starlink is, you know, essentially it's an Elon Musk vehicle. They've got about uh, 3,000 satellites up in the air and they're currently taking Aussie dollars. So it's really relevant to the Australian market. You can get on their website, order a dish and all that kind of stuff. Um, due to their design, they've kind of been nicknamed Dishy McFlatface, which I can't tell you how much that entertains me. It's right up my alley. Um, but now they're going through the, the process where, um, you know, hackers are like, well, let's try to bust these things. Yeah. So um, Leonard Wooters, who's a security researcher at the Belgian University KU Leuven, hopefully I didn't um, butcher that, um, has basically found out that they're hackable with about 25 bucks worth of parts and Starlink were impressed. He's put all his data, put all his findings on GitHub. It's spread across to Reddit, all that kind of stuff. So Taking a white hat approach out, there. Yeah, yeah, out in the open yeah. and Starlink were like... Nice work, Sunshine. That's actually pretty cool. Um, the average punter doesn't need to worry too much about it if you've, you know, spent 900 bucks and ordered your dish. Um, it's pretty sophisticated work and needs physical hardware access. So unless someone's planning to climb onto your roof and really the, there's, what's the point? Um, you, you're going to be good. The OH&S risks alone. I mean, oh, you know, too much hackers effort, man. care so much about that. <laughs> Way too much effort. <laughs> Very good. Cool. And one last really quick one, um, because I love putting the boot into robot dogs and I'm not going to do that this week, but um, a really cool guy, Alan Pan, has developed um, a, a walking snake tube. It's really cute. It's really cool. Um, he borrowed a snake. He's popped the snake in the tube and the robot worked. So off it walked. He took a video of it. So it's a really interesting piece of robotic tech um, and it's pretty sophisticated because snakes apparently used to have legs. So so we got you on board with the robot snake, but the robot dogs creep you out. This Cause, is... Because, you know, people are shooting people in the face with them, but yeah. this is really cute. But he's really frustrated because he's done this really cool thing um, and then CNN, which is a billion-dollar media company, has used his footage without permission or payment... Um, you know, come on, guys. So there's two layers of tech there. There's some cute robotics with snakes in them. 
It's worth looking up. Um, uh, his uh, Twitter handle is Any Technology, and you can go have a look at it from the source. And, you know, CNN, who's got all the money in the world, has gone and pinched it. So that's great. Keeping Gotta major, love <laughs> you know, media entities accountable. Triple R. We've just been joined in studio by a guest. If you're interested in technology, growing businesses and fostering community in Melbourne, it won't be long before you come across our guest tonight. His name's Gary Williams. We're going to call him Gaz. He runs the Melbourne chapter of uh, Language Warning, Fuck Up Nights, is the founder of Alts Projects, who deliver tech crossover events. And tonight he's here in his role as Director of Community at Tractor Ventures. Welcome to Byte, Gaz. How's it going? Thank you very much very well. for having me. Stoked. Very well. It's great to uh, to see you in person. When I got to say, I haven't made it to as many tech events lately as I'd like to. I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, really, really can't can't um, unpack that enough. Mm, I can think of a few things, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> Look, um, let's dive right into it. Tractor Ventures, um, amazing uh, venture organisation. Um, tell us a bit about how they got started. Yeah, sure. Um, look again. Thank you for having me in. It's uh, taken me out of my um, my regular sort of living room haunt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and we, we are a predominantly um, remote first organisation, which is really cool. Mm. We've been in operation since about the end of 2020. Um, started as a, I guess, more of a quaint idea for a way to fund a number of bootstrapped technology companies, aka those that. Um, didn't necessarily seek external funding um, in order to grow. But then the goalposts started to shift as um, we've sort of ramped up really considerably over the last sort of year and a bit. And I'll unpack why that is, but uh, we've <laughs> we've grown significantly over the last, especially year or so, mm. and in particular last three or six months. And what growth means is that we, we fund more and more companies with non-dilutive funding meaning that they can come to us, um, get an amount of funding to make some key decisions in their business. And that, that's usually a couple of key hires um, or maybe an investment in a particular type of technology. Mm. But anything that sees their, I guess, their revenue then grow to a, a new level and basically increase the capacity of the business. So it's pretty cool. Fundamentally, we're, we're, it's boring stuff. We, we, we give loans to businesses. <laughs> I, I, know that you, I know that you say that, but yeah. um, and we don't speak to a lot of people in um, you know no. the broad venture capital category because, like you say, there's a lot there that maybe is a bit prosaic, mm. and um, it's certainly not limited to the tech industry either. Yep. But we do think that there's some very interesting things going on at the intersection of those two things, and there's some really serious decisions to be made as a founder um, of a small startup um, as a as a growing startup about. How do you get enough capital to grow? And we're actually quite interested in that because, mm. you know, the founders who we do speak to a lot of um, tell us so much about how this decision can make or break them as a business. Exactly. And uh, I wondered, you know, is there any extent to which being part of uh, Tractor Ventures um, involves any sort of um, expertise, advice giving, what have you? Or is it more about waiting for people to come with the right strategies in place that you feel then confident to to um, support and help grow? Uh, a key and very big part of what we do is actually advise uh, the teams who come on board. Our, our team is made up of 
I guess, some of Australia and New Zealand's most experienced technology operators. They've been through rapidly growing organisations. Uh, they're they're um, prominent angel investors themselves, and um, in particular, our our three co-founders, Matt Allen, April Allen, and Jody Imam, have um, invested in a massive amount of technology companies over their time. So ordinarily, a company would come to us, get some funding to be able to scale to that next level, and we don't take any equity in their company as part of that process. But then we would help them out with uh, other factors that they would need. So we've got one of our general partners based in New Zealand, Kirsty Grant. She's a, um, a hiring expert and basically can help them with their talent acquisition needs, etc. Again, as I explained, it sounds really dry. We, we get we get right in there with the companies and really dig in and help them with what they've got going on. I think I'll, that... I can talk through any number yeah. of examples. Well, I think for some of our listeners, it might be worth unpacking, you know, why not taking equity hmm. actually is a real differentiator for you guys as an organisation. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, if I was going to summarise it, we fundamentally do debt funding. I mean, debt is a, a culturally dirty word, I guess, within within the landscape. Not not necessarily when people think of a mortgage, ironically, um, but certainly in terms of uh, you know credit card debt, etc. We we provide debt funding, which allows the companies to take on an amount, and then they pay it back as a loan um, as part of their monthly recurring revenue. Again, fairly boring stuff when you unpack it, but what it means <laughs> is that. The companies actually know what this loan will cost them over a course of time, and we don't overextend it and make them pay back exorbitant amounts. But when they take on external funding in the form of fundraising through VC, etc., they don't necessarily what know what that equity that they give up from the outset will cost them in the long run, which could be yeah. exponentially higher. That's exactly right. Um, Seeking venture capital is such a contentious step for startups looking to scale. And you talk to people and they often have a very strong philosophy over whether they, you know, want to bootstrap the whole way, whether they think it's only possible to bootstrap to X amount. And they'll often have that amount in mind. And then they'll say, and from there, you know, I want to exit, you know, I want to sell to one of the massive players in the field or I want, you know, they'll have a strategy. Um, can you tell us a bit about some of the compromises or even traps that growing companies can fall into when they need investors to help them do that next stage of growth? Yeah, of course. I mean, we're, we're not as established as a technology ecosystem as, say, overseas, for better or worse, oftentimes worse. But um, <laughs> we're, a, we're a much more immature ecosystem in regards to, you know, you know the short bow, um, you know, Silicon Valley is one sort of example. So overseas, um, it's quite a known you know, known factor to raise a lot of venture capital and raise it at exorbitant amounts, which um, is not really needed. And then, of course, to burn all that capital in pursuit of hyper growth. Uh, you know, our type of funding model hasn't really existed in Australia for until we came on the market. So we're sort of experiencing that wave of doing that. But um, a little unknown fact is that this debt, you know, 15 to 20% of deals in the US are comprised of debt as a component for fundraise. So it is quite a known established entity overseas in those markets, but we're almost educating people as we go, uh, especially people who are coming to us just seeking to unpack this in their mind. And, you know, it's that nice thing we get to give people aha moments when they realise, you know, they can... Oh, this doesn't cost me um, mm. anything in terms of giving up my equity. Mm. But if I can just talk about one little point, we initially thought we were just going to be funding bootstrap companies, and we did. Those companies are very happy to stay bootstrapped and, and all power to them. That's yeah. exactly what we were championing. Yep. And we still do. But the 
things have changed and more and more companies are coming to us to get an amount of funding and then fundraise at a later time, except that they can raise at a higher valuation and with less equity having been given up. Yeah. I can see some real benefits there. I mean, it's a different financial instrument at people's disposal yeah. Yeah. and they can manage the risk in ways that might be appealing to some people. Yeah. And we may have, you know, been coined anti-VC at yeah. a certain time, <laughs> and that's okay. Part oh, of our education bad. is for invest- big bad investors. Yeah, who might know. the that rebels, the honest. rebels of VC, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, the, the byline is we're anti-unnecessary dilution. There is no need for a founder of a company to get taken for a ride and give up um, too much of what they've worked so hard to build. Yeah. And that's what we stand for. Can you talk a little bit about the fact that your funding is also unsecured mm-hmm. and how that... Um, might make some founders who take money from you feel? I mean, uh, uh, an easy assertion would be to say, why don't you just go get a bank loan, et cetera? You, most of these uh, founders are unable to access the traditional financial um, system for the businesses because banks and financial institutions don't know how to adequately risk or a technology company with technology assets. So... In our scenario, you basically it's secured against the business and you know, houses and, and physical assets that people accumulate in their time are not needed to be put up as sureties. And so when when founders and financial decision makers understand that, you know, again it's an aha moment. It's a real and, game changer yeah. because you know, you think of the risk of the risk that you're taking on your, you know, little startup idea. Yeah. And then you're going, Hey everyone in the family. Um, the house is on the table if we do this next round of growth. <laughs> and people are like, I'm not feeling that great about that. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's such a big ask. And yeah. um, we really do want to be able to have an environment in Australia where these companies can grow without taking on so much risk themselves. So it's I think um, Tractor Ventures are really just a really great addition to the ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, we think so, but... Yeah. Lots of others do too. And when I say grow, like we've had a, a very large amount of companies coming in, everything from aged care technology providers to sex toy companies, you yeah. name it. It's, yeah. um, it's been wild. Well, and there's something radical there too because sex toy companies have very um, often been really neglected in this space. Ro, you know more about this than Absolutely. I do. Yeah, hugely neglected. Um Oh gosh, so um, there's a, there's a lot of um, really quite vocal spokespeople in the industry. Um, you know, the founder of Dame Products, Cindy Gallup, um, those kind Cindy of guys. Gallup. Yeah, oh, and um, she's amazing. <laughs> it's it's such a chronically underfunded space, but it's also. Um, it's affected in kind of unusual ways. Even things like um, credit card providers don't like supporting sex toy companies. There was a really big thing where um, the Eros Foundation actually really went for it so that they could get services like Stripe on their websites and things like that. So you could literally be selling um, a disability device or a lubricant or a something, something that is not even um, sex industry focused. It's just a tool. It's an aid. And, um, yeah. Y- yeah, you can't pay for it. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah. it's it's really cool. There's that... been a squeamishness. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, let alone the fact that, uh, yeah, sex toys are legal. We all have sex. Yay. So let's, you know, why why the stigma, why the drama? Um, so it's really good that, you know, when 
lots of small battles are being fought and it's it you know feels like a really relentless attack a lot of the time. It's um, just a bit of a signal, isn't it? You're sort of locked out of a lot of tech, so it's great yeah. when there's some funding options to go ahead and do stuff. Because Australia's been doing really cool stuff in the sex toy space. Mm. Uh, there was one Adelaide-based outfit, and I reckon this is going back probably 12 or 15 years, but they did the first um, hook it up to your iPod and have it bounce along, you know, <laughs> to match the beady iPod kind of, you know, technology, that kind of thing. And that was actually um, around the same time, you know, WeVibe was starting to come out, but it was still five years before WeVibe started doing an app and all of the remote stuff and all the rest mm. of it. So, mm. you know, it's a fun space and, you know, we want people still being able to do fun stuff. Yeah. Mm. I'm going over some songs in my mind that might that might work really well with. <laughs> and some would be terrible, like, you know, Darude Sandstorm or something. You'd be, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, crazy frog. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, gosh, I've been thrown by that. Sorry. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm not squeamish about investing in sex companies, so that's the important thing. Um, in sex tech, it's pretty pretty fascinating. You were recently uh, named in the Australian Top 100 Most Innovative Companies. That's, that's no mild thing. Um, VC as a whole is a fairly established business model, so that's pretty significant. Um, what do you think helped make uh, you guys stand out as an innovative business? I think just purely for the fact that our balanced uh, type of capital mm. for uh, emerging technology companies is is quickly being recognised as a as an additional option for founders to be able to help them grow. It has that non dilutive aspect, and I mean we're growing publicly quite fast because you know we do love a bit of promotion. But what I will say is that a large amount of these companies that come to us and get funded, we've never heard of them before. So they're not represented in the, the mainstream publications. They, they are not sitting on panel discussions, speaking on podcasts and whatnot. They are definitely under the radar, but contributing to the overall contribution of Australia and New Zealanders growing uh, technology ecosystems. Mm. So the fact that, and, and, you know, who would have known it? Generating revenue, uh, customers all over the world, et cetera, but largely in our sort of um, public focus, we don't see them as often. So, that is definitely a type of company that comes to us because they are running towards profitability. And it's amazing to hear. We find out about these wild companies, um, you know, located just down the road mm. um, doing amazing things. So it's very cool. So like do, you, do you guys talk openly about like the range of funding options that you have? Like, you know, how much you'd be willing to fund so that people know before they even approach you, you know, are they in the ballpark? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think also, um, and again, not not to communicate any sort of, uh, you know, anti-sentiment towards other types of funding models. Yeah. We are all for multiple types of funding models, just more a balanced one um, and use different levers. So, But with us, we, we take the approach of being completely direct and open about what our parameters are. Mm. And when people apply for our funding, they simply just connect their financial accounts. It gives a risk score and that's the initial indicator. So it's based on a technology risk assessment, not someone's, you know, finger in the air, um, you know, assessment based on their predetermined bias. There you go. So I can, I mean, I can talk about, we, you know, companies that have um, minimum $15,000 a month um, predictable revenue, I guess. So, you know, obviously for some companies, December and January is sort of out, but, you know, or might have big agency contracts or so on. So something like that um, where you can sort of model that out. They have around six months runway in the bank, mm-hmm. so we don't do rescue missions yeah. for people. We don't yeah. we don't fund companies that are pre revenue or, or have a great idea. Mm. Um, 
but we fund between we funded between fifty thousand and one point five million. Great. Up until now. And that'll start to change significantly. Oh, of course. You know, <laughs> like the longer your runway is, yeah. watch yeah. this space. The more you can do. Yeah. Amazing. Well, you do have an upcoming event where people can find out more. Um, Absolutely. That's tomorrow night. What's going on? Yeah, so we're running this uh, – well, we have been running this roadshow called The Cost of Capital. And, again, it's about this uh, this education piece, but also – we want. We don't just want to run events and then sit on a panel discussion and wax lyrical about our beliefs. We want to. We want to give some content with a bit of utility and bring a number of these technology founders and investors into the room, so they can understand a bit more about how our funding model works because it's largely unknown by by these founders. But of course, in true me fashion, I wasn't just a, an event. Decided to fashion a, a complete roadshow all around Australia and New Zealand. Perfect. So, and when I say around New Zealand, we went to Auckland. Right? <laughs> you know, but I have to lump it in. It gets too wordy if I go in the particulars. So we've done Sydney twice up until now. Gold Coast, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Auckland, as I mentioned, and Melbourne previously. And now we're rounding it out. So tomorrow, the eighteenth. Yes. In Melbourne at the Commons in Cremorne and then on the 31st of August in Sydney at the Commons in George Street. Yep. So listeners can find uh, the Cost of Capital Melbourne event on eventbrite.com.au or just check out Tractor Ventures and uh, you'll soon be led there. I mean, we do love a social post. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Is that at, Twitter, at LinkedIn. Tractor Ventures? Yeah. Yeah, very yeah, easy, yeah. very easy. <laughs> Gaz, um, we might ask you to stick around and talk tech of us. We'll see after this. But uh, before we do, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about Tractor Ventures. Pleasure. And uh, I feel like you didn't even need to say the fuck up nights thing. So, <laughs> you know, we didn't even go into it. Just there you uh, go. The language warning is over for the yeah. night. That's yeah. it. No more. No Don't more. Don't make me use the dump button. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Triple R. We've still got Gaz Williams in studio with us because why not? He's got why a great would, voice for radio. Why would I leave? Yeah. <laughs> I know. We're so friendly here. We're cosy, you know, and we've got an O'Reilly article to unpack. We do. We just need – the more brains, the better. So, like, I don't always love O'Reilly. It can be a little dry. But uh, they've, gone, they've gone out. They've made a big call. They've, um, they've published an article about the metaverse – and they've, they've said, the metaverse is not a place. You can almost feel that tone in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And really what they want to say is, oh, gosh, can people stop talking about the metaverse as if it's real estate mm. and selling avatars like a future second life? We've done all this before. <laughs> what is this really? Mm. Um, and where they've landed is, you know, we've got to get people talking about this and thinking about this as a communications medium, as the next evolution of how we're going to be communicating. So as we're living through the moment of time now where we are really not enjoying having people call us on our telephones <laughs> and text's fine but we've got so many different texts coming at us and, you know, we're communicating a lot more via video but we're not sure if we're, you know, going to keep doing repetitive replay TikTok style mm. things and copying that on every platform. That's where Tim O'Reilly from O'Reilly wants us to think about um, metaverse coming into play. What did you think of of uh, his take, Ro? I really liked it, and I think there's there's a lot of stuff in there that our listeners would actually really understand. You know, he cited one um, really relevant case, which was around how. 
he's got a Peloton, his wife's got a Peloton, they've got a friend who's got a Peloton, that friend then gets on Zoom, screen shares their favourite workouts, they all do it together, they chat that, well, when they're not, you know, let's do oh the Perry yeah, um, you know, <laughs> they chat, they laugh, they have a really good time. So, you know, they're, they're out and about and... Um, they're already essentially using the metaverse. You've got the visuals, you've got the audio, you've got the interaction and true community. And, you know, having just, um, you know, experienced a couple of years of all of a sudden we're remote working or we're Zooming and we're having Zoom birthday parties and Zoom funerals and all that kind of stuff, there's, um, you know, it's it's very relatable. There's a lot of our listeners who will already be paddling in a metaverse of sorts. They just don't have the same name for it. So Hacker and, and News user Kip Wen um, wrote, a metaverse involves some kind of shared space and shared experience across a networked medium. Not only is it more than just doing things in VR, a metaverse doesn't even require VR. Mm. Gaz, what do you think? Is that how, you know, have you started to conceptualise, you know, what will this metaverse be? <sighs> Deep exhale. <laughs> you know, my feeble mind can only take so much cognitive, you know, distance, you know. Uh, I shudder to think of being placed in a, a virtual environment for uh, a large amount of time on end. But um, it is interesting to ponder, but more from a, a cynical uh, laughing at the uh, the current production point of view. <laughs> yeah, I just keep being struck how none of it feels new. You can unpack it all and just go, well, we've just been through a pandemic where people got Zoom fatigue and really felt what it's like to do too much of this. And that's less than immersive and less than ideal. Mm. And I don't see how more immersion than that is going to be a better experience, you know, and maybe even be more exhausting. Mm. Um, And people are getting wrapped up in the idea of asset generation being tied to this wave of innovation. I'm just not really sold on it. I just... Don't mm. see how tightly the means of production are tied to that environment. Mm. I think there'll be a few niche things going on. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I, I definitely see a transferable use case for sort of, I guess, Web3 assets, etc. But, I mean, you know, I like to get a little reminder of how uncool Facebook, Meta, whatever, is oh. whenever I see their, their communication about their... Um, metaverse, uh, you know, new product outputs and graphical uh, representation. I said something about this to Vanessa before the show, but you were much more professional about and polite about it. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like a rude language. You land did put grab. a language warning on the show. Sorry, Vanessa, you did too. So, no, you know, how about it? I'm going to be well behaved. <laughs> we, we could have a look at um, the latest Pew research into how teens use social media. Um it's predominantly done on uh, US users, um, but they're looking at the main social networks in 2022 versus 2014, 2015, because they thought that was a nice jump to compare. So YouTube, 97% of teens use it, ubiquitous. Mm. 67% are using TikTok, mm-hmm. and it's still growing. Uh, Facebook, 32% of teens use it. It's not a good place to be if you're a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, 23% of teens are on Twitter, so even less. They do not want to be bored by our conversations. <laughs> uh, yeah, Friendsters unchanged, zero to zero. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely cracks me up. The, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and, and YouTube is just um, not getting it wrong because they're continuing. I think their algorithm is still sensational in terms of selecting areas of interest. Um, and even the self-curation of playlists on there oh. is just 
masterfully done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really, really good. Um, I, I personally, um, you know, I, I listen to YouTube as one of my primary sources of listening to music and I'm, I'm one of those people that, that has to listen to music while I work or I can't function. And, um, and I just switch it on and let it roll. And, and then I'll be like, oh, that's good. I'm going to bang that into a playlist or I'm going to give that a like so it pops up in the algorithm again. Mm. And, you, and it's, you know, the channel that I use to find new music most of the time, more so than any other channel, aside from our triple R digital pigital hole, which is the best thing in the universe. To what extent do you find um, that the algorithm's quest to understand your likes becomes too narrow, you know? Can do. Definitely can do. I find that, um, yeah, some some of the mixes do get a little bit repetitive at, at times for sure. And, you know, I definitely do understand, particularly for teens who might be that little bit more, um, you know, vulnerable and that kind of thing, it doesn't take long to spear off in a particular direction, whether it's politics or misogyny or mm. whatever that might look like. It's, an, it's a short road. So if I try and think of a use for the metaverse, which might be valid pretty, you know, now, um, if we think about people's movement around the earth and, you know, where we're going to be living and the effects of climate change and, you know, the the um, deflationary sort of effects on air travel, you know, not wanting to, to use mm. our carbon in that sort of way. You know, do we think this will be a travel thing? Will it be a meeting up with people who live in different places in the world thing? Um, Possibly. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of used it, particularly um, over hard lockdowns and stuff. I've absolutely used tools like Google Maps to go, hmm, you know, I'm going to go check this city out. And I really like when they've set it up so the city has guides. So you click on an area and it takes satellite mm. view and then it zooms down and gives you street and it takes you on a guided tour of key cities like I did, you know, Manhattan in New York. And that was absolutely fantastic. I actually did tons of that. And a bunch of museums and art yeah. galleries have really done the work there too. Yeah, which I've, I've loved diving into and stuff. So I'm on board mm. for it. Mm. And when they start charging you? I probably still would actually. There you go. I did it. I, I paid for a... Um, a, a live tour of the Amalfi Coast um, while we were in hard lockdown, and I loved it. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, there was one, oh, and oh, I'm ashamed the name escapes me, but it was almost like a chat roulette for um, people. What people were sort of filming, sort yes. of um, um, like the window. Was this yeah, the window? Exactly. Thing? I loved and that. I, I found that incredibly quaint and really, really niche. So mm. it was really wonderful. You get transported all around the world and just basically get a get a peek, not into people's bedrooms, but like mm. outside. Yeah, I, I love so like the, the different audio games, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And I loved hearing what the different cityscapes sounded like, you know, whether it was a country and it was a little bit of a Tweety Bird or um, whether it was a really bustling, you know, Rio de Janeiro type thing. Um, I loved it, and especially good when a cat showed up and be like, ah, into the camera, <laughs> which happened more than once. Maybe even soon uh, a robot snake. Possibly. Very nice. What I don't understand is how any of this is going to be better than, like, Twitch streaming. Like, uh, that's probably about as immersive as I'm willing to go at the moment because that can feel incredibly personal and, and sort mm. of vulnerable when, when uh, someone's broadcasting. Yeah, it definitely yeah. can. So, yeah. well. right, right up there with Korean food videos. <laughs> Yum. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. 
What's on for Weird News of the Week this week? Oh, weird News of the Week, which is in our little uh, show guide as Wootnall, <laughs> <laughs> comes to us via the Sizzle newsletter this week, um, who pointed us in the direction of a new blog post by the National Archives about the Telecom Stand at Expo 88. Oh, I'm celebrate so old. 88. I remember the Expo 88. I was in primary school, but I vaguely oh, remember. <laughs> I was jealous because my best friend in primary school, Sarah, got to go her parents flew her up and they had a lovely time. Incredible. I was so jealous. But For those um, who don't know, it was in Brisbane, Brisbane. South Bank? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it was kind of the start of South Bank as we know it now. I understand it was all refurbished and made fabulous for was it. fresh. And- oh, delightful. Well, um, the telecom stand, Telstra for the young listeners among you, um, the booth slogan was together we'll show the world and the stand had touchscreen information kiosks that contained a Sony Videotex workstation. That really took off. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, put put your beta players away, boasted a video disc player, wow. speakers and an impressive, oh my God, 20 Meg hard drive. Huge. Huge. Considering I just spent like $8 down the road for a hundred gazillion gigabyte USB. We have come along. Video discs did really look impressive though. They did. They did. They looked fantastic. Um, Yeah. If you want to find out more about that, hit up the National Archives um, Australia website. Uh, They've got a blog. So there you go. Yep. Amazing. Step back into history for a moment. Very nice. Hey, a few events coming up. It's so exciting to hear the gig guide's full. Our event guide is full. Um, We were speaking of Gaz Williams earlier tonight. One of the things he's known for about town is language warning, um, is hosting uh, the Melbourne chapter of this international uh, concept, which is called Fuck Up Nights. And it's really about um, celebrating and exploring and learning from the failures in our lives. And uh, it's, it lends itself to hilarity. Um, this particular night will be hosted as one of the first Friday nights um, features at Swarm, which is the Science Gallery Melbourne as part of uh, Melbourne University's sort of campus in Parkville, kind of mm. Parkville Carton. Yeah. It's around that area. Yeah. And uh, their theme will be STEM and arts focused, as is fitting, being hosted inside Science Gallery Melbourne. Hey, were you listening to Breakfasters this morning? Everyone should have listened to Breakfasters this morning. It was excellent. So if you were listening, you might have heard the Breakfasters speaking about upcoming events at Science Gallery Melbourne with Tilly Boyleen. One of those is um, the Swarm event running until the 3rd of December and it poses the question, are we hardwired to be part of a pack? And uh, there's some really cool, like, a bunch of exhibits as part of this. One is um, getting hands-on with Björk's biophilia. Uh, You can also see 3D printed machine flowers, um, doing stuff with pollen and helping, you know, mitigate the effects of uh, difficulty transferring pollen. Um, And you can also explore how Angie Abdilla and Baden Palethorpe took some of Adam Good's spatial tracking data, running around as an AFL footballer, to inform a machine learning algorithm to create a representation of a kinship system. There's a whole lot of things to learn about within this concept. Um, It's part of the Our Family Tree um, exhibit within the Bigger Swarm show. So, so worth doing. Oh, it just sounds brilliant. I'm definitely going to be going. Um, and especially I'm completely obsessed with um, Björk as a creative and, um, you know, Björk's latest works, everything from a concert series, 
Oh, absolute heaven. So it's definitely going to be one to watch. And, you know, there's some really cool events around Melbourne, you know, Loom and all that kind of stuff. Great ways to see art and creativity in different ways. Yeah. And this is just going to be out of the blocks, which is super exciting. It is incredible. Mm. Space. Yeah. um, This got me excited. There's an event coming out. It is the inaugural um, sort of summit or you know conference or symposium or something of the Australian Academy of Technological Sciences and Engineering, ATSE. I get their newsletters. They're excellent. They're very interesting. Sometimes, you know, a bit much for me even. Um, but they're bringing out, like the headline speaker is an astronaut. She's also an entrepreneur and a global change maker. Her name is Dr. Anusha Ansari. But you might have heard of her because she's also the CEO of the XPRIZE Foundation. So that's the world's leader in designing incentive competitions that tackle the world's grandest challenges in exploration, environment and human equity. So I think of them like Kaggle, but, you know, with a really different focus and a bit of a different scale. To date, they've launched 25 competitions, totaling more than US um, $292 million in prizes. Um, so it's this really great match of, you know, bringing funding to where it's needed in like, you know, environment and, and social justice sort of causes. It's, it's mm. kind of great stuff. She's really inspiring. Um, I'm stoked that she's coming out and uh, we can only hope she brings her astronaut suit. <laughs> we all need more astronaut good things in our lives. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, And just one super quick one. Girl Geek Academy is running their Microsoft Monday, speaking of filling a tech gap. Um, So next Monday, the 22nd at 5pm, high school girls can learn how to program and use a Raspberry Pi. You can find out more, sign up and view the full upcoming schedule on their website. And tickets are free for high school girls. So girlgeekacademy.com. Check out their events. They do some cool stuff. It can be quite hard to get your hands on a Raspberry Pi at certain times. They're so in demand, Mm. especially for people's smart homes. Um, Amazing. It's going to be good. Ro, it's been marvellous making radio with you tonight. We want to say thank you to our guest, Gaz Williams, uh, from Tractor Ventures. Yes. And thanks to you, Ro. It's been Thanks good. to you, Vanessa. Uh, pleasure. Thanks to our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, as ever. And our podcaster, Carrie Smythe. We've been bite into it. We will be back next Wednesday evening with a different group of the crew. You know, we're mm. a big and many varied family. We love rotating yeah. our talent. That's it. <laughs> um, Have a good one, folks. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts. 